evening. Weren't uh, the two um, speakers before awesome? Um, I just loved, um, I came in the middle of, um, I think, Steve's um, um, presentation in that sense, um, but I sat through Rodney's, or Rod's, I should say, and I thought it was brilliant. I don't know whether all of you are here. That I think we should give them a round of applause. It's just fantastic. Um, I don't know where the book table and material table is set out, but we teach a lot on relationships. Um, it's a major part of our ministry. It's not all um, our ministry, but it's a major part of our ministry, um, either in one family uh, conference or you know, going into another. Last week, weekend for three days, I was with the church doing stuff on relationships and family and so on and so forth. We also have um, attached to our church uh, a professional Christian counseling center, and um, obviously a big part of that is helping people through, you know, stuff to do relationships and, um, and other things that uh, people seek professional Christian counseling uh, for. My, my wife um, heads that, um, um, that section. She's a professional Christian counselor herself. And so our material, I think, is at the back. And this is uh, it's upstairs? Okay. Uh, this is the, the latest set of um, CDs that we have, uh, Family, Love, and Relationships. And they may look alike, but there's Volume 1 and Volume 2. And there are five CDs. Um, what we do is we, we did a bonus CD each on that. And so when you buy the set, you get a bonus CD um, each in that sense. Instead of four CDs, you get five CDs. And a gentleman will be helping upstairs if you want to pick these things up. Well, it's good to have you here tonight. It's, um, it takes um, um, a lot of faith to be here this time of the night, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know where you've come from. We've come from Watford area. And, um, but I love this, this building so much. I was looking forward to being here because 20 one or 20, almost 23 years ago, God spoke to us um, when we're in transition, and that is when we're pioneering the work that we have, and I was sitting right there in a seminar when God spoke to or confirmed the call of God. So for me, I have very sentimental uh, feelings about this, this building um, in that sense, and I was sharing with, with Rod, and he says, then you've got to come back. I said, yes, I will come back if you invite me, <laughs> in that sense. But um, I just want to pick up from um, from what the two speakers were sharing, and I think together we'll bring what I'll call the counsel and the mind of God. Um, when it comes to relationships, and there's a gentleman sitting somewhere there had some very good questions, and I think his questions kind of resonate with a lot of young people that sometimes we come across. Um, and there's nothing wrong when it comes to relationships to uh, be asking questions. In fact, when you look in the New Testament, one of the biggest teachers on relationship was Apostle Paul. And you go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, what led him to really begin to teach on relationships was because people or the church in Corinth began to ask him questions. And so he says, regarding the questions that you asked me or you, you sent me, these are the answers. And he began to uh, lay down uh, what God's word was to the people of God, or for that matter, to the church, um, and, or to Christians. 
And so he begins to put certain things across. So it's, it's so good when people begin to ask questions when it comes to relationships. And hopefully through that, you get the right answers. Now, one of the things, as I sat down listening to the different speakers, one of the things that came to my heart was the fact that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And what is happening here uh, tonight is hearing different counsel from, from hopefully God's spirit that will help you whichever way you are deciding um, to go. But tonight, you know, this, when it comes to relationship seminars and stuff like that, my heart is always boiling with all kinds of different things, and I have to try to stabilize myself so that I don't just go off in different tangents and then my audience is lost in the process. But um, I want to share from Matthew chapter 19 um, briefly. Jesus was asked a question really about divorce. In Matthew chapter 19, if you go in there. Now, because of the time limitations, I don't want to be reading too many scriptures um, in that sense. And um, if you want some more scripture references, maybe in the, after I finish, and when I'm sitting down, if you want them, I can write them out to you. Or if you have an email, we can send it to you. But they asked him a question about divorce. And when you get to verse 4, he answered and said to them, Have you not read? that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to um, his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let, no, let not man separate. Obviously, they went on, um, he went on to talk about um, they asked him another question about why did Moses allow um, a certificate of divorce to be given, and he says that it's because of the hardness of men's hearts. Now, I'm not here to teach on divorce, but this question, um, you know, that they asked, or let me say Jesus' answer to this question is such a powerful answer, because I always like to talk about Jesus as being a very good doctor, you know, if you went to a doctor and you told the doctor that you had a headache um, and uh, he just says, go get some paracetamol or Panadol or ibuprofen or whatever and, and you'll be okay, I don't think that's a good doctor. Because if, if, if for me to go to a doctor and tell the doctor I have a headache, it means it's, it's beyond ibuprofen and the rest of the things. I'm expecting him to say things like, or a good doctor be asking, what, you know, when do you have these headaches and what are your schedules? What are your sleep patterns and where do you have the headaches and so on and so forth? And so Jesus was asked a question about divorce, but he didn't go straight directly to the answer. What he did was he showed a process. And he literally, what you're saying is that when we fail in these processes, we come to a place of hardness of heart. Whereby, what he was trying to say is that you don't get married to somebody yesterday, wake up the next morning and say, I'm, I want a divorce. That's very rare. But sometimes three years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, and then people decide to go their separate ways in that sense because what really happens is that our hearts get hardened against each other if we do not pay attention to these three things that I'm going to share. Now, the first thing he said, he said, God did not, he said he made them male and female. In other words, everybody is born as a single individual. Or oh, you didn't think so. Even if you were a twin, somebody came first in that sense. 
So we're all born as single individuals. And I just love what Dr. Rod said. He said that this concept or idea of singleness being some sort of lower, if you're single, you're sort of some lower creature to a married person, it's, it's a myth, it's a lie. It's a big lie. Because when you go back into the book of Genesis, um, where Jesus said at the beginning, so the book of Genesis, where marriage began, you will notice that Jesus or God said, it's not good that a man be, help me, alone. He didn't say it's not good for a man to be single. There's a difference between being single and being alone. Now, my people here will bear witness with me that you can be in bed with the love of your life or suppose love of your life and still be alone. So there's nothing wrong with being single. You know, sometimes even in churches, some people think that, that when someone is, is single at a certain age, they are not very spiritual. I don't know whether you've come across that before, but I have. I've gone to all kinds of places. And sometimes there is this stigma on single people or Christians that you, you, you got to a particular age and you're not married yet. It's like there's a, you know, nobody says it, but it's there. That, you know, the people married, they are the ones who've got what we call the breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes there's that pressure on single people when you get to a certain age, you know, there's that pressure on you, you know, and you, sometimes we end up catching the person, the next person going by, you know, because there's so much pressure because your parents are putting pressure on you when you go home. They say things like, isn't there any man in your church? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, your, 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 your aunties show up and they say, so who is the man in your life? And you say, nobody. And they look at you weird. Because everybody thinks that to be complete, you have to have somebody with you. No, God made you a whole, complete human being. That's how he made you. And whether you get married or not, it does not diminish who you, who you are in the sight of Almighty God. Have you noticed that the two biggest teachers on relationship were single? Jesus and Paul the Apostle. Okay? Now, no, Jesus is Jesus. But Paul the Apostle decided not to get married because of the call and assignment that God had called him to. And he was not in sin for doing that. Because how dare him teach about relationships when he was breaking the commandment of God, which he wasn't. Okay? So, so when, if I just wanted to, to, to just buttress what Dr. Rod was talking about, the, about the aspect of being single. And if you're single, it doesn't mean you're less spiritual. Because it's a life that some people may choose to, to, to live. And really, the goal of our Christian walk is not to get married. The goal of our Christian walk is to become like Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we might grow up into him, who is the head. So that's what we're supposed to be doing, growing up into Jesus, to become more like Jesus so that when the world sees us, our life becomes a testimony and a witness to, to the world for them to fall in love with the Jesus that you and I have come to know. Not to be married, okay? And, 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 and sometimes when I have the opportunity to share with single people especially, I share all these principles and, and I encourage them to go for their lives and so on and so forth. And it takes a lot of weight off people because of sometimes the pressure on people, especially single women, you know, 
But that's not to say I am against people getting married. Now, three things that Jesus shared was the, the first thing he was talking about there was that whilst you're single, if you're deciding to get married, you have to be in preparation mode. Okay, so the first thing he was talking about was to prepare. If you want to get married, you have to prepare. It's so interesting. People prepare for all kinds of stuff. I'm sure most of you sitting here have gone to university. If you haven't, you're in one training or the other or been through it. But that was preparation time for what you believe that you're supposed to be doing. And so when I talk about preparation, it's easy for us. Yeah, of course. If I want to be, how many of you would like to get on a jumbo jet or a plane and as you strap in, the, the pilot comes on the tannoy and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be flying you from Heathrow to New York Kennedy in whatever, eight hours, 15 minutes. I just want you to know that this is my first and maiden flight. So sit back and stay comfortable. I hope we make it. Will you stay? Will you stay in your seat? Your first flight? You, you know that when you are 33 feet above, you know, sea level, you can't tell the pilot, just stay here, I want to get down. It doesn't work that way. You, you expect that he would have practiced and prepared. You understand what I'm trying to say? If you're being wheeled for a major operation and then the doctor looks at you and, and smiles and says, you know, you're my first patient. I would say, first patient today or in your life? You know, and I don't care what state I'm in at that moment. I'll tell them, stop. I want off this thing. Because you're not going to be practicing your medicine on me. All right? So we all believe in preparation. But when it comes to relationships, why don't we want, don't we want to prepare? Do you know how much? Do you know how much it costs? Do you know what a lot of us are preparing for? Single people, not all over the place. We're preparing for a wedding. You're not preparing for a marriage. And please, listen, I'm not against. Don't go out of here saying, that guy who came from North London or Northwest, he hates good weddings. I didn't say that. I want you to have a nice wedding if you're planning to get married, but I'll not lie to you. A lot of people are not preparing for a marriage. A wedding comes, a wedding is a day. Okay, now I heard our brother talk about the Jewish weddings and stuff like that. That's fine, but the point is that it's not a wedding. The success of your wedding does not determine the success of the marriage. Okay, a wedding is a day. And please have a nice, good wedding, but prepare for it. Prepare for a marriage, not just for a wedding. And listen to this, folks. Do you know how much the wedding industry is? In this nation of ours, do you know how much it is? 10 billion, almost 10 billion pounds a year. But when you try to find out stuff to do with premarital stuff, like premarital counseling and all that, you don't even get a figure. You can't even find a figure. I mean, I did that two years ago. I searched. And I came to a conclusion, maybe I'm not, good. I'm not good with these search engines. I got my daughters who are, you know, better at these things, and they checked it out, and they couldn't get a figure. Finally, I found out that the figure was around about 5 million. 
That's preparation stuff. Okay, like things like this. Now, how much did it cost you to come here? Tell me. Free. Free. But how many people will pay to come to this? Not really. See, but the things that have been shared by our, our, our speakers before will get you to have a healthy relationship if you stick with them all the days of your life. But that we have to make free because otherwise nobody is going to attend. And even when it was free, 200 people registered, I just heard, and 50% are not making it. So you'll see why marriages are failing left, right, forward, and center. Because there's a saying that if you fail to prepare, you prepare to what? Fail. So a lot of people are not preparing for their marriage. And it's getting worse these, these days with, 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 with all the, the social media stuff because everybody wants to be a You know, we used to accuse celebrities because their, their weddings came in Hello! magazine and all the rest of it. But we all want it. We want it. So now we have special logins and stuff like that because when we have our wedding, we want to be plastered all over the world for people to see how good our wedding was. I said, nothing wrong with good weddings, but are you preparing for a marriage? The second thing, quickly, because I want to share certain things with you on dating. The second thing is now after you get married, Jesus said the two shall become one flesh. Now the purpose of a marriage the purpose of a marriage is the one flesh relationship. It says, for this cause is found in Genesis, it's found in the New Testament. For this cause or for this purpose, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Several years ago, I believe the Spirit of God placed on my heart, and I used it a lot. Husband and wife are supposed to be a team, one team. Because when you say one flesh, people wonder, how does that work? One team. I, I support the best team in the whole world. The best team in the whole world. Um, if you give me some money, I'll tell you who they are. Should I tell you? Yes. Liverpool. <laughs> They're the best team in the world. But one thing I notice is this. When they score a goal... Do you know who they put the camera on? If you watch football, when they score a goal, they show the guy who showed the, uh, scored the goal. The next thing they show is the manager, and there's another person they show. Can somebody tell me? What? The goalkeeper of the team. And you will see him sometimes doing cartwheels. He, was, he didn't score the goal. He was not even in the vicinity of the goal, but he's doing cartwheels. Why does she do cartwheels? Because it's his team that has scored. A husband and wife, you're a team of two. Yes, the Bible teaches that the husband is the head. Okay? Just like the captain of the team. The captain of the team is not better than the rest of the team. He's just been given the responsibility of leading the team. The captain of the team is not the best player. Rooney is the captain of England at the moment. But the last match or the last two matches, they booed him all the way. Anytime he shot the ball, they booed him. But he's the captain of the team. He has responsibility for the team. 
So a husband has responsibility for that team, the husband and wife team. He's the leader, not the abuser, not the dictator. And God said it that way because a creature with two heads is a freak. That's why he put the husband as the head. So the first thing is you prepare for a marriage. And then after you get married, guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to maintain what you've got. Now, there are so many principles are teaching this, but we have only 30 minutes, and I've used most of them almost. <laughs> I think I've just got about a few more minutes, but I want to share something on dating, so I'm going to come there soon. I want to give you these three principles because it will help you. So the next thing is maintenance, and the third thing He says that that which God has brought together, let no one put asunder. That speaks about cementing that relationship. And that is about renewing your relationship. Now, when I say renew your relationship, I didn't say renew your wife. (laughs) I didn't say that. I said renew your relationship. You know, we, we, we married this year, just a few weeks ago, 29 years. Okay? And when they asked about true love, the question about true love is so interesting. I'm sitting here, she's sitting there, and we all said, no, there's nothing like that. Like, no, I don't, I'm sure, I hope, sorry, I'm getting it wrong in a sense that you, this one true love. And I love what um, Dr. Wood said. He, said. he said he could have gotten married to a certain, not that he could marry four people at the same time, but he said he, may, he could have gotten married to somebody else and he knew that he'd be successful at it. Okay, but when he got married to his wife, that was it. Okay, because God allows you to choose. The brother was asking some very good questions. He says that, he's, and, and Dr., Dr. Wood said, God allows you to choose because God will not supersede your will, but he gives you guidelines. So he says, get married to a, get married to a believer. So what's your, why are you dating an unbeliever? Amen or oh me. Amen. You know, get married to a believer. He says, his people say, well, I can't find anybody in, I can't find anybody in our church. He didn't say get married to somebody in the building. He says get married to somebody in the body. The body. The body has black people, white people, brown people, yellow people. You know, so we limit ourselves. And I like his illustration. He said, he, oh, he, the, the, what he talked about when he had this guest minister, and he said, you know, where are the single men or who want to get married? Some stood up and said, where are the single men? They stood up and said, work it out. <laughs> because do you know what is happening? And you know, we may laugh at this, but do you know what is happening? We live in a generation and we are looking at the world. Okay, and it's like we've got to have the perfect thing. Everything has to be right before we get married. And so do you know what is happening? Our, everything is going further and further. People are getting married when they are 40, 45. And they, when you start crossing that, I'm not saying you will not find a spouse. I'm not saying you wouldn't. But you are making your options narrower. God wants you. When we got married, we were 23. I was foolish. She was, had a bit of a head on her shoulders. But I was, you know, when she was walking down the aisle, 
and she was coming and I was standing there watching her and I began to look up. Our kids used to watch the video. They actually ruined the video. So, so you know, we found one in my, my late mother-in-law's wardrobe. That's why we have a video of our, of our marriage. But our kids used to watch it all the time. It used to fascinate them that they were not there when it happened. <laughs> So they watched it and watched it. But they used to ask me one question. Daddy, why were you looking up in the sky all along? When mom was coming and during the wedding, you kept on looking up in the sky. Because in my mind, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm go- I-, I am 23. I'm going to ruin somebody's life. They are- somebody is handing me their daughter. I must be out of my mind. But it was almost too late. I mean, she was a beautiful bride. I mean, I, I, but, but that's, for me, I was going bonkers. Not for her, for me. Are you crazy you getting married? But you know what? We've grown together. We've made mistakes. We still make mistakes. We, you know, she said, you had nothing when, 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 I, got married, when you, I got married to you. I had something. I had hair. Oh, you don't believe it? I had hair. I had a whole full afro. I did. <laughs> but 29 years, we're still together. We love each other. We care about each other. We've grown together. You know, you're talking about finding purpose. Sometimes people try to find all their purpose. Well, no, 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 no. You grow in purpose. You discover purpose. And when you use those godly guidelines that you've just heard, even if you've not found it yet, you begin to find it. Now, let me finish by giving you these things, if you can write them down, especially in the area of dating, because I don't want to go without telling you, and I don't want to take any more time. Like I said... The word that really came to my heart as I sat down listening to the other speakers and tell you, I'm, I'm just so happy, so blessed to be here, especially listening to them, is that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And what you got from there is good counsel, rich counsel that you can apply to your life. But the first thing I want to share, I'm going to try to share nine things and then I'll quit. Okay? Now, dating... Is, I feel that dating, I like what Dr. Wood said. He said he dated his wife for, was four years or five years? Five years. And he said, big mistake. And do you know what? I just love him for his honesty because I'll not encourage you to do that. Okay? He, he's, he's, he's giving us counsel here. Okay? But when you're dating, is not found in the Bible. You will see the word dating in the Bible. Okay? But dating is right. That word dating is from America, okay? It's from the American culture, but it's, it's right. It's right to date, okay? There's nothing wrong with dating. But this, what we do is we date like the world does. The day people go on dates to check out people's bodies, okay? Now, God made you, you are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body, Dating is not for the body. Dating is to find out about each other's soul. So that is how sometimes you begin to discover purpose. As you talk to people, find out their interest, what they are passionate about. 
not about the size of their upper body and stuff like that. That is the picture that we have from the world because we think, whoa, she has a great body. Listen to me. Contrary to what people think about, you don't live with somebody's body. You live with the insides of the person. That's what you live with. So when you date, you find out about the person, how they think, where they want to go, what they want to do. So if you spend a little bit more time with the person, sooner or later, you begin to find out, hmm, maybe our purposes are not really, I want to live in Russia. He wants to live on the other side of town. Maybe, you know, stuff like that begins to, you know, if, if you spend time. So dating is to find out about the soul, the mind of the person, not the body. And if you date the right way, and, and I think it was, I don't know which speaker talked about it. I think it was Dr. Woods or the, uh, Steve talked about it. I'm not too sure. But one thing people do is, is, is respect. These days, people don't respect the sexual union. If you date the person right, and you, you, it's about the person's soul, when you get married to them, they will give you their body. That is to the guys. But if you give them, and ladies, listen to me, if you give them, your, you give them sex right from the start, I like how my, my wife puts it. He says, you know, when you go to, how many of you have been to Primark? Been there once or twice. Everything is all over the place. But when you go to Cartier, the watches are under what? Lock and key. Ladies, what do you want to be? A Cartier woman or a Primark woman? And do you know the interesting thing? Listen, I'm not here to give you all the men's secrets. Do you know what? Do you know what? When the men are finished with the Primark women, guess what they really, who they really want to settle with? The Cartier woman. And listen, I've sat with people behind closed doors and they've told me the reason why I chose my wife because she was not like the girls we used to go with. That's what the guys who run around with the girls said. That's why Dr. Wood talked about safe sex. Safe sex is not about a condom. It's about within the covenant of what? Marriage. Now, let me do this quickly. First of all, do not marry an unbeliever. The Bible gives us guidelines not to do that. And I also add, don't date them too. Because dating is for a marriage. Now, the person you date, you may not necessarily marry because as you go along and you're prayerful about stuff, maybe you will not have a peace about marrying the person. It doesn't make the person wrong. It's just different. Okay? So why are you starting off dating an unbeliever? So, well, maybe they will check. They won't. That's for another day. The second thing is, do not be in a rush to get married. Let it be done in God's timing. I don't have time to expand on any of these things. This is just good wisdom, okay? The third thing is, do not marry in a wave of sexual passion. What do I mean by that? We are, we are created, we are sexual beings. And sometimes you, are, you have this wave of sexual craving. And you know what? You've got to bring that down. 
You don't want that to be leading you. Because sometimes people decide on, on it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, a friend of mine lost his wife. And when he lost his wife, just recently, about, no, but, yeah, about yeah, six months ago, and he was just all over the place, and he started putting tattoos of her name. And, and I had to tell him, I said, don't put, start putting permanent stuff on you just because of how you feel. Now, I'm not, I'm not against him putting a tattoo of his wife on his body or anything of the sort, but I didn't want him to put, he was doing all kinds of stuff. Because I, was thinking, I said, don't get into permanence yet because you're all over the place at the moment. All right? So my point here is that don't, uh, that will can pass. That can come down. It's a cycle that you are going through. Don't jump into a marriage because you have this wave of sexual passion. That is not a good indicator for a relationship. The next thing is never confuse love with sex. They are not the same. And you had a very wonderful definition of love. I'm not going to go over that. The fifth thing is, do not marry to solve problems. You will exchange one set for another. Sometimes people are having problems at home, maybe in their parents' home, and they just want to get out. And their way out is, if I can only find a guy, or if I can find a girl, I'll be out of here. And so what they're doing is they're exchanging one problem, and sooner or later they'll be in the next one. How many have you got? Five? Do not expect marriage to make you happy. Because guess what? You make the other person miserable. Yeah, you know, you're miserable and they, they, they think their happiness will be in another person. No. Christ came so that you can be full of his joy. Work on that. Cultivate that. Don't expect somebody else to bring you that happiness. And rather, go into a relationship. Again, I have to use uh, my, my guest's definition to make the other person meet the other person's needs. That's why you should be doing that. And if you go thinking that they will, they will make you happy, you will make them sad, and both of you will be a good sad lot. The next thing is, do not marry a symbol or an image. All right? A symbol and image, because sometimes people, you know, they, they want to get married to a, a footballer or some icon, some celebrity. You are marrying the status. Okay? In church, some people want to get married to the pastor if he's single. Yeah. Because they think, they think that, you know, because people think that this is me. You know? No, I'm supposed to teach and preach. So I'm teaching and preaching. I, I better do a good job of it. But the moment we get home, my wife will say, go make me a cup of tea. Amen. I will not be preaching my way into the, into the house. No. no, 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 no. We don't do that. No, I could, sometimes I'm, I preach a sweat on Sunday and I come, she says, as soon as we walk home, she says, you know, stick the, this thing in the oven and, and I'll chop the onions, you cut the potatoes, hallelujah, with all your anointing, do that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, so the next thing is do not marry someone who promises to change after you are married. That's eight. Nine is do not marry someone who is extremely jealous. 
extremely jealous. Sometimes they cut your friends off, they cut your family off, all kinds of stuff like that. The final thing is do not marry someone who puts you on a pedestal or associates you with impossible standards. All right? They cannot accept you for who you are. So they see all these things and they do not want to discuss it with you. Sooner or later, they can't handle it and they are going to explode. Now, these are all guidelines, okay? This is not the Ten Commandments of dating. These are all wise guidelines that will help you in, you know, if you want to go that path of marriage. Did you get something out of these things? Okay. Okay, questions? Just five minutes, okay? Just five minutes if you have questions. Yeah. Gentlemen, someone else, someone who has not asked a question, I hear. Is it working? Yep. Um, I just want you to quickly elaborate on the last point you made about um, marrying someone who does not accept you for who you are. I think mm -hmm. that's what you said. If you could just elaborate on that a bit. Okay. They put, what it is is that they can't, strict, what they do, they can't accept you for who you are. So what they do is they, they associate you with impossible standards. Okay. You know, that, they, that means they, they lie to you. Really what is happening is they, they have this image and you are not that image and they want to force you into that image. Okay? And you will see it sooner or later. You know, sometimes people, some people are very nice about it, but you, you begin to recognize as with time. Now, these are guidelines not in the marriage. Okay? So you begin to, to recognize it. And I think that if you're going out with someone like that, I'm not saying you are, I'm just generically speaking, and you begin to pick this up, you have to say, that's not me. You're saying this about me, and that's not me. And if it continues, you must say, is there a problem? Don't, can't you accept me for who I am? You know, so um, it, it's very difficult to be very specific about it, but that's the best way to, to, to come across, in a sense. Yes. Lady, oh, Sorry. Hello. Um, I absolutely love everything that you said, and I particularly liked your analogy about the Primark lady yes. and the Cartier lady. Yes. But I found that um, the message of purity is, is emphasized so much to the ladies, but the men don't necessarily get that aspect of the message. So mm. women are always encouraged to maintain their purity, but men don't necessarily... <laughs> yeah. Men aren't encouraged to maintain their own purity and to guard the purity of their sisters. So how do we get that message out there to the young men? Okay, you know what? You're very right, but my, my, my church, I have a few members of my church here. This is just one night that I have been a bit more gone the ladies or gone the men's way. I am very strong with the men most of the time. In fact, I get stoned for that. You know, I, I, I do seminars and when I finish, the men corner me and say, why are you going to start talking about the women? <laughs> you know, so, so you're very right. As Christians, we must all live pure lives before God. 
okay? I just use that as an example in that sense. It doesn't mean that men get away with stuff and then women are supposed to live right before God. As Christians, we are all supposed to live right and pure before God. Does that help? Okay, thank you. Um, I completely... um I completely um, support your um, view on literally looking at the person that you're dating or you're with and making sure that you're not looking for unrealistic changes. Mm -hmm. But in the process of accepting somebody as they are and not wanting any change, how do you kind of make sure that you have a balance in terms of not um, seeking perfection in someone? And understanding that um, there are things that you have to live with and you cannot change. You know, I think your, your, your answer, your question, your, the answer is in your question, if I should say that. Um, obviously, the stuff that I, I put across, I said, are guidelines, okay? But one of the things, and I have two daughters, and we have to even tell them that. That as much as, and in our church, when we do these things, people come across, come to us and they say, boy, there are so many things you guys teach on relationship. And we try to tell them that these are guidelines for people to walk in. It's that you can't find, there's no perfect person. Okay? There's no perfect person. And one of the things that I wanted to underline everything with is this. You have to do these things prayerfully. As a child of God, you have to do it prayerfully. Your, your heart must be open up. And our speaker spoke, spoke about that to God for leadership and direction in that sense. And one of the things that I, if you heard me say right from the beginning, is that people are pushing their relationships further and further away because we are always we are looking for this perfect person. And one of the things that is hurting us is social media. I'm not saying you shouldn't use social media, but because when everybody takes a picture, you know, when they send you a selfie, they look right. Yeah. Everybody looks good on self, you know. And, and when you see them, you know, when you see the pictures they send you immediately, you're like, oh, I'm looking the worst state of, that's how they make you look. You know, so everything, everything they show you is perfect. You know, they're eating the perfect, every time they're eating, they take a picture of the meal. The meal is perfect. Everything is perfect. They could be standing next to somebody's car and they will take a picture and you would think they just bought a new car. That puts pressure on you. Everything about it is perfect, but that's not real. It's not real. I think I'm almost... Yes, sir. Hi. Uh, One so more. I really like what you said about uh, earlier. A lot of people are preparing for the wedding, but they're not preparing for marriage. Mm. Now, I wanted to ask you, what does actual wedding look like in God's eyes? Because I've been reading in Scripture, and there's no description of a big ceremony and what happens A, B, C, after D, and so on and so forth. You're right. So in God's eyes, what does an actual um, wedding look like? You know, like? it's difficult for me to say in God's eyes. Maybe um, Steve, Steve can help, uh, maybe he can help you there, but one of the things I know about Jewish weddings, he went on for how many days? Seven, seven. seven days. So it was elaborate. But, one, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's, a, those choices are ours. In a sense that going, like for example, the law of the land over here is that if you went to the registry with two witnesses, that makes you married. The moment you sign, you say, I do there, that's it, you're married. So it can be as small as that or as elaborate as you want. But, you know, there are things to consider. Can you afford it? So there's wisdom there. Can you afford it? 
Okay? Sometimes somebody is paying for your wedding. If you have parents who will do that for you, fine. But sometimes there's wisdom in, in, in the side. Why would, personally, personally, I don't want to have 400 people at my wedding and I don't know 350 of them. I don't. I don't. And people have these weddings. We were, we were having a chat with a friend the other day, and she said, no, 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 we should, you should have minimum of 400 people. I said, for what? I want people I love, people I know. When we are having parties at home, if it's a birthday, we invite people we know, people we are traveling with, people that share our life. That's what, and, and at the end of the day, we are happy because we are with friends, okay? I don't want to have a party that half of the people were invited by my grandmother. Maybe that's what you want to do. But so, so at the end of the day, um, I think it's in your domain, but you've got to use wisdom. You know, there are finances obviously involved. Can you afford it? And so on and so forth. All these things have to be looked at. All right. Time will not permit me to break it up long enough. But I think you see where I'm going with that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Taiwo, for what? One more. <laughs> Um, yes. I wanted to ask, how does one prepare for marriage? Okay. Simple things like, for example, I, I, I mean, everybody, if you drive over here, you must have done some driving lessons before you got your, your license. Marriage is the only one that you don't have to do any lessons before they give you a license to get on the road. It's true. But I... I'm a strong believer in premarital stuff. I'm a strong believer. So if you go to a church, um, ask your, your pastor or your minister, is there a premarital class that goes on in this church? Or do you have uh, premarital sessions? Okay? Buy good books. Okay? I can re recommend some very good books that will help you. You know, that you can read. I, 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 we have material that we, we sell, obviously. So I encourage people to read stuff, to listen to stuff. You know, uh, go to good seminars like this. You, you'll be surprised. This is not done everywhere, you know. This is rare. You know, that's why 100 people didn't come. I could get all the other 100 people to come. You should have called it the prophetic meeting. You should have told them that we'll be telling people about their futures and how they can make a lot of money. This place will be full. <laughs> okay, so stuff like that helps, okay? So this is good. This is fantastic. But, but you know, if you go to a church, find out what they do for premarital stuff. Um, go online, you know, but not everywhere. Good Christian stuff, okay? Because there's all kinds of junk around, okay? Does that help? Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kofi. That was a, a real blessing. Um, I certainly got something from it. Um, so could we just give another round of applause to Pastor Kofi? That was... Yeah. Oh, amen. 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 Could we also give another round of applause for Brother Stephen, Stephen Briggs? And... A final round of applause for Pastor Rodney.
Thank you so much, guys. Like, I know you've traveled very, very far. Um, some have come from Paris, California, Istanbul. Um, you'd be surprised. Um, so we thank you with, from the bottom of our hearts. Um, today wouldn't be possible without yourselves. Um, today was, wouldn't also be possible um, without our helpers. So we just thank you for uh, 